Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is Danielle Hayden. Danielle comes from the C-suite as the former CFO of a 200-person recruitment innovation company serving every major market across the U.S. and Canada. After over 10 years in the corporate world, Danielle did what many experienced professional women do. She started her own business. Danielle is now the owner of Kickstart Accounting, a virtual accounting firm based out of Cleveland, Ohio, where her focus is on helping women entrepreneurs and small business owners with the financial aspects of their business. She is also the author of the Profit Planner book series and the host of the Entrepreneur Money Stories podcast. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about you. I think I read that you studied accounting in school. Is that right? Yes, I did. I got my master's in accounting and financial management. Really exciting stuff. What made you get into the numbers game to begin with? You know, it's so interesting. I like my parents laughed when I told them I was changing my major to accounting. I was not a numbers person growing up. I never liked math. I'm pretty sure I almost failed algebra in high school. But I had actually went to cosmetology during high school. And so I was working as a hairstylist at a hair salon and I was going to school for business management. I wanted to open up my own hair salon. And what I found was, yes, I liked doing hair, but what I really liked was playing this numbers game with my commission structure and then my salon had incentives. And so I was literally teaching the other girls, okay, if we all do X amount of services for X price, we can all hit this commission structure. And it was all about, I started teaching them about all the numbers behind the profession. And then it was a natural progression from there. And that, yes, I was going to school for business management, but I was loving the accounting classes. And I just naturally became so in love with how the numbers can support us in business. Yeah. Can we dig a little deeper into your childhood? (laughs) Well, because I'm interested that you went into cosmetology, which is such a traditionally female field, oriented field. And to go from that to math is pretty a pretty big leap of confidence, really, because like a lot of us as girls, we're told, oh, you know, we're not good at math, or we just read a lot of media or watch a lot of TV where the girls aren't good at math. And then we internalize that. And we just think, oh, I guess I'm not really that good at math. I'll leave it to the boys. And, you know, a lot of girls go through that when they're younger, just because of a lack of guidance and resources to tell them otherwise. So did that ever happen to you? And was that something you had to overcome? Of course. And I think that that's why, you know, I mentioned that my family laughed at me when I said I was going into accounting, right? Like it wasn't something that numbers were really natural to me. But what gave me the confidence was learning about how to use the numbers to my benefit when I was working at the hair salon. So the more that I used them and the more I was able to benefit from that and learn from it, it increased my confidence. And then as I went into school, I was killing these classes. I was like, this is great. You know, like you know, people always say with accounting, you either you get it or you don't. And I took that first class and I said, if I pass this class, I'm changing majors. I loved it. And I think that if I had only 
took an accounting class and I didn't have the work experience, I don't think I would have fell in love with accounting in the same way. It was the work experience that made me fall in love with accounting. It was what accounting could do for you. It's what accounting could do for your business, not the actual credit and debit, right? So it's not, you know, it wasn't the actual act of accounting. It was where can this take us? And then I had taken a job. It was around this. I was doing it with the hair salon, but I had taken a full-time job working in the accounting department. And again, I could see how the numbers were working real time. And so I think that those experiences helped build my confidence. And I never even really thought of it as, oh, wow, I'm going into a male-dominated field. Or, wow, there's a lot of men next to me in these classes. Or there's a lot of men in this department or this company. It really never dawned on me because I was getting my own confidence from my own experiences. And that was validating for me. So you kind of got into it at a point where you were already working. So you were already getting that real world practical experience and you had that a little, maybe you had already grown your confidence from that. So it's not like you were entering like a green, totally green. Right, exactly. So had I picked an accounting career and graduated high school and said, I'm going to go into accounting, right? If I had been 19 sitting in that first accounting class, I don't think I would be an accountant today, but I did cosmetology while I was in high school. So when I left... I was working at the hair salon while I was going to college. And so I was already having that experience. I was already understanding what numbers could do for me. So when I sat down at that accounting class, it was like, oh, you know, I can mirror the two together. I could use them both, both the experience and the actual task of accounting together. Yeah. And your parents, you said they laughed at you. What did they do? Did you come from like a working class background? Yeah. Yeah. So my dad's in IT. My dad is an IT manager. My mom actually ran a daycare growing up. So we would get off the bus with, you know, like 20 other kids because half the bus got off the... Got off with us because my mom, she was running a business at home. I never think of it as entrepreneurship, although it was definitely her own business. You know, she was managing the finances of her business. She was buying supplies. She was doing it. I don't ever give her credit for that. We do forget to credit our moms. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to call her after we, we are done with this recording because, you know, back then, you know, I think we have a really good entrepreneurship community these days. And entrepreneurship is something that we talk about, but she didn't really see herself as an entrepreneur. She saw herself as a stay at home mom running a daycare, right? So it, it just was presented differently to us. And then she, you know, I think I was in sixth grade. She became a paralegal. You know, she went back to school. I watched my mom juggle having her business and going back to school and she became a paralegal and she still does that to this day. So they are definitely two people who now work in secure nine to five positions, you know, that she'll be at until she retires. (laughs) Well, that's great. And it sounds like you also had that example of watching your mom pursue, you know, not only just pursue entrepreneurship, which even though you weren't calling it that, you still saw it. And then you got the chance to see her learn something new and change careers, which probably inspired you also. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a testament to show that you can do that, right? You don't have to be locked into something for all time. I mean, my mom went to school for nursing, decided she didn't want to do it and had another career and then became a paralegal and had another career. And I think what that showed me is that we don't have to be locked into what we pick to do, you know, when we're 18, when you're asked to, Hey, why don't you pick a college career now? (laughs) Yeah. It's such an important lesson, I think. Um, Okay. So then you got, so you were working as a CFO when you graduated or sorry, you were working as an accountant. 
Yeah. So I started off as an accountant, grew within the company and eventually became their CFO. And then I changed companies and worked again as a CFO. Amazing experience because I got to watch the investors, board of directors, the CEO, not just grow the business. I got to watch them use the financial information and ask me questions. And I get to learn and see how they used all the information from the accounting department to make business decisions. And ultimately, we grew the business and sold it to another company. And then I was able to go to another company and do that again. And it is an amazing opportunity. It was so exhilarating to be part of growing and selling those businesses. That's so interesting. So you got there, you rose to the position of CFO pretty quickly, and you got to watch the companies grow themselves, and you got to learn from that. But when you were a CFO, because you spent a long time doing this, a decade or more, what was that like for you? Did you ever experience... Tell us, Just tell us some stories, I guess, from that time period. Did you ever experience any challenges because of being a woman or even just other reasons? Yeah, I'll touch on the women piece of it. So I was definitely the first woman to be part of their C-suite. And so it was, I think, an adjustment for them as much as it was for me. So when I got to that position, I had been down the hall, right, working as the accountant and the controller, and I would hear the activities of the C-suite. They had, we all had like cubicle type offices. And then down the hallway was the C-suite offices. And, you know, you would hear them on Fridays, all the guys having drinks and they would all, you know, they would stop working at two o'clock on Friday and have drinks. And there was no women in there. There was no women uh, part of the monthly board meetings or the quarterly board meetings. So they would fly in the investors from New York and there was no women sitting at those dinners or in those board of director meetings. I had an amazing CEO who welcomed me into those conversations. It never felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. The minute I got that promotion, I sat at the table next to them and had a voice and was asked for my opinion. And so, yes, I had the confidence to get myself there. Uh, but I think, you know, when I talk to other men who are in executive positions, they know that women's rights and women being part of C-suite positions is just as much their responsibility as it is women because they have to allow a voice and move over at the table and allow you to come to dinner because they could have went to dinner, not invited me, right? Or they could have had drinks after dinner and not invited me. But I was part of those experiences and welcomed there. So I hope that other men, as well as you know, my son that I'm raising, can see that and can move over for the next woman to come up and sit next to him. So we're talking about the 2000s. This isn't that long ago, right? So we're talking about like you entered this kind of a situation where there were no women in the boardroom. There were no women at dinner. There were no women in these these meetings. It sounds like a little bit like Mad Men, like 2 p.m. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great that they did welcome you. Was there some sort of um, an initiative or was it, do you think it was just the culture based on a few personalities that were welcoming to women? I think there was a combination of it, right? I don't know. Had it been another woman, would they have acted the same way? I don't know. You know, it was it that I approached the situation with confidence and was able to, you know, approach my job with excellence and approach leading my department and leading the company with strategy that because of that, I was able to be a seat. Had it been another woman? I'm not sure. I don't know. But that was definitely one of the when you asked me about challenges, that's one of the challenges that I can think of. And then all of the other challenges of just 
using the numbers to make business decisions, right? Like this is what every single business owner is struggling with that. Okay, great. That's what the numbers are. But now what do I do with them? And so I think that was the biggest challenge was kind of waving my hands at the management team and saying, hold on, that's not what the numbers are telling us. You guys want to run in one direction with the strategy. And yes, that sounds great. But I'm telling you that the numbers are saying that doesn't work, right? We tried that strategy last month, last quarter, last year, and the numbers showed us that that strategy didn't work. Let's try something new so that we can give the numbers the opportunity to either validate or help us pivot again. And so, you know, I think that's another huge challenge to be able to learn everybody, wait, the numbers are telling us a different story and being able to have the confidence to say, we need to pivot and getting the entire company and C-suite or entrepreneurs to pivot. It sounds like you were doing great there. It sounds like you had an, a, a good experience. You were making a difference in the company and you got to watch them sell their company. Is that why you left? Because you were just, they sold the company and they were done? Or was there another reason? You know, I had been doing some volunteer work at a entrepreneurship hub here in, in Cleveland. And I was working with entrepreneurs to get the foundations of finance into their business. And what I realized was that when women sat down with me, they had a really unique issue. They didn't have the confidence to be able to ask for help. They felt like they needed to do it all, that they needed to learn how to do the bookkeeping. They needed to learn how to be the CEO. They needed to learn how to make the business decisions, but they were never willing to ask for help. And so they would sit down with me almost like it was in like a secret, secret hiding, right? Like a secret visit. Can I ask for help? Like, can you show me how to do this? And I was just so called to break this down. Like, hello, we are able to ask for help. We don't have to do this all ourselves. And you're never going to be able to be the CEO and really run and grow your business as a woman, as any entrepreneur, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, but you cannot do the day-to-day bookkeeping, be in the weeds, and then look at the numbers like a CEO and say, okay, here's what the numbers are telling me. I need to make better business decisions. And so I was called to help women business owners. And we have a lot of men clients as, as well. So I, I just I think that women just really needed us to be able to come in and break down those barriers to be able to have someone to ask for help be able to get the bookkeeping support that they need, and then be able to have the strategy. So as much fun as I was having and I was making an impact, I knew that there was a greater impact. Okay. So you found your clients through like an entrepreneurship, women's entrepreneurship program that you were working with, and you decided to really make the leap and just kind of focus on your own clients at that point because you felt you you could make an impact. What was the difference there? Like, How was it working with these women entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs versus spending your daily time working with investors and boards of directors of large companies. That must have been such a difference. Totally different. And actually, you know, it's the power of the pivot. So I originally thought, well, we're going to be the CFO for these business owners. Like, I didn't quite realize how much bookkeeping help people needed yet. I really thought that I was going to help them make business decisions. And we quickly realized you can't make business decisions on bookkeeping that's wrong, right? Or bookkeeping that you don't have. So you have to have bookkeeping in place and then you have to have accurate, strong, on time, on time, that's a big one, financials then to be able to make business decisions. And so when I left and originally took this leap, I thought I was still going to be doing mostly strategy with business owners. 
And then it did take me becoming humble and saying, this is what entrepreneurs need, right? This is, I have to put my ego aside and work with them on the bookkeeping, help them get the foundations in place first, and then we can help with strategy. So today my team and I help with strategy, but I had to get over my ego and, and be humble enough to be able to take back on that bookkeeping role so that we can even get to strategy. So it's different, but I tell you, every day we get to help we get to help real people, right? I genuinely think entrepreneurs have the chance to like change the world, right? And we get to watch these transformations where people come to us, they're confused, they're lost, they have no idea how their business is performing. So they think just because there's not cash in the bank account that they don't have a profit, they're leading with their gut and no numbers. So we get to watch them be transformed from confused to empowered and confident and making badass decisions and doing things that maybe they would have, their gut was telling them to do something totally different. And then we get to watch them take that data and say, all right, but this is what the data is telling me. And it literally transforms this one person, right? This one client, it transforms their business and their life. And we get to walk them through that transformation. And so, yes, it's different, but this is so much more powerful than what I was ever doing a day in as CFO. So when you explain that, you know, instead of making large strategic decisions, you went down and I say you went down, but you had to sort of like take a step back and help with uh, the bookkeeping first. And that's how women are able to then like go forward and make the strategic decisions in their businesses. Can you give us an example of that? Like, can you give us an example of something that happened in a, a real world example of what kind of a strategic decision was made based on based on understanding numbers? Whereas before, maybe the numbers were not understood. Yeah. We had a client who she was offering every product under the sun, right? Because she thought she had to. And so she had she had four service lines and then there were different like packages and then an hourly package. And then she also sold a set of products that supported her client's journey as they worked with her. So then she also sold the products. And she thought that she needed to do all of them. But as we dug in to what was actually profitable, so we said, let's track our hours. Let's track your team hours to each package and see where are we actually making money, right? And she thought it was on her highest tier package because she got to charge the most amount of money. And what we learned was that she was actually losing money Every time she sold somebody her highest tier package because it took more of her time, it took more of her team's time, and it took more of their resources. And so she was actually less profitable when she sold that highest tier package, even though more cash was coming in the bank. And so we capitalized on how she could sell more of her middle tier, raise prices on her highest tier, capitalize momentum on her middle tier service line. And her profitability grew. So it's interesting. There's so much focus on gross revenue, grow your gross revenue. It just means dollars in the bank. It just means revenue coming in. It does not mean keeping dollars in the bank. It does not mean profit. And so although the following year, her gross revenue didn't increase, her profitability did. She took home more money. Same thing with her products. She was selling products because she thought she had to. She was actually losing money because she didn't know how to manage her inventory. And so she actually had product that was expiring on the shelf. And, and so we found better ways to optimize the way she did her inventory. 
same client and just another example of another strategic decision that you should be making with your bookkeepers and your accounting support, hiring and paying yourself. These are the two biggest things I see entrepreneurs scared to do. They don't take home enough money. And if they take it home, they're not taking it home in the right way. Your payroll versus owner's draws. And people are afraid to hire because they don't know if they can afford it, how much they can afford, how to pay them. And so we see business owners just taking on more and more and more. They're not getting paid. They're not getting the help that they need. And so these are two really important strategic decisions that we help with, with our clients so that they can get paid and they can get the help that they need. So what would you say is your number one piece of advice for women who are growing their own businesses? Perfection paralysis is a place that we see, especially women, get really, really stuck in entrepreneurship. Things do not need to be perfect. We can ask for help. We do not have to do everything ourselves. And so for anyone who is thinking about starting their business or adding a service line or hiring a bookkeeper or hiring more help or whatever it might be, don't wait for the circumstance to be perfect. Get the information that you need that can support the best decision that you can make. So don't wait until you have all the information. You just need to make sure you have the data to support your gut decision as a business owner. And don't wait for the perfect circumstance. I want entrepreneurs to succeed. And we so often see people wait and wait and the opportunities pass by or you're not asking for the help that you need. And so don't wait. I think that's such good advice, especially as women. A lot of us tend to be perfectionists <laughs> the way we're raised and we continue with that as we progress through our career. And I think it's it's a really good point that you don't need to be perfect because not everyone is scrutinizing you the way you are scrutinizing yourself. We should have that plastered on a wall somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) They are not. You are your worst, can be your worst enemy. So go easy on yourself. Yes, we can be our greatest own critics. It's so true. So as you were creating your new company, your accounting company, you also created a lot of material for people in the form of your book series, your profit planner book series. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it is and how it's helping your clients? Yeah. So as we started working with hundreds of entrepreneurs with their bookkeeping and strategies, I was getting a lot of the same questions over and over again. And I wanted to create a resource guide for business owners. However, accounting is a hard topic, right? There can be a lot of overwhelm with it. And so I really reflected on how can I take the overwhelm out of accounting? Nobody wants to sit down and work on their numbers all day, every day. And so the idea behind the planner, it's there's two books and each book spans over a quarter. Every week is a different topic and we give you the financial literacy behind it. And then every day there's one task that should be able to be completed 15 30 minutes absolute tops on a heavy day. But it gives the momentum. You know, I I talk about this analogy all the time. I'm a runner and like nobody goes out and signs up for the marathon, right? You have to take one walk and then one run. And so that's the whole idea behind the, the planner is let's get some momentum and let's get some confidence in breaking down each piece of financial advice and activity into one activity each day so that we can get some momentum going. What a great opportunity for people to like have everything kind of like planned out for them so they can follow a path that you've, you as a professional have created for them. I think a lot of us are taught also never to talk. You know, I keep talking about when we're younger, but I, I think that is so relevant because a lot of our current attitude toward money and our relationship with money is really 
all based on how we were raised around money. So I think a lot of us are taught never talk about it. Never just, I mean, I was, I never talk about money. Gosh, that would be rude. (laughs) And as women, that doesn't always serve us well. Do you think women should talk about money? So I'm so glad that you brought this up because this is so common. I mean, I remember when I grew up, you know, you didn't ask your parents how much they made. They would have never answered that question or how much money do you have in the bank? And I still am looking for the right balance with my kids. I don't know. But I think that we are trained that, you know, you made the comment, it's rude to talk about money. And so as business owners, we don't talk about money and then we ignore money completely. And so it's not even something that we address in our business because we're trained not to address it. So I think we need to normalize the conversation around money. I mean, that's really why I'm here talking to you. We started our own podcast called Entrepreneur Money Stories because that's exactly what we want. We want to normalize talking about money because a lot of times that people get on their first call with me and they're like, I can't believe I'm here having this conversation with you. Like it took everything. Like I've been nervous all day. I'm like sweating, but that's how heavy it feels around money. And so I want to welcome everyone to start talking about money, you know, and to to start talking about our successes and struggles as entrepreneurs so that we can all find the support that we need within each other. Yeah. So important. Okay. Well, Daniel, where can our listeners find you? Where can they find out about your firm? I mean, this is such a, it's incredible that you came as a CFO from a major company where you were doing high level work with other corporations. Now you are taking that skill set that you've learned and you created a team of women. Actually, I didn't even ask you, is your team all women? Yes, we are all women right now. Yes. And you're doing that for regular, you know, everyday entrepreneurs. And it's an incredible opportunity. So I want to make sure our listeners can find you and like learn about your book and see if they can get in touch with you, maybe have a consultation and learn more. Yeah. So I invite you to definitely come book a strategy call and we would love to hear more about your businesses and the experiences that you're going through. You can do that at calendly.com slash kickstart accounting. The website is kickstartaccountinginc.com. Come hang out on Instagram. That's my favorite profile. It's Kickstart Accounting. We are always posting tips and tricks for business owners. So if this is something that you are doing on your own right now, come and follow us there. Learn from our tips and tricks and you can comment your questions along the way. I'm here to be a resource for businesses. So if you need anything, yeah, always reach out and we're here to help. I love it. Well, yeah, let's talk about money. Let's not hide it in a closet, (laughs) not make it a secret, shameful thing that we can't discuss. Let's talk about it. Let's learn about it. Let's grow our businesses together. And Danielle Hayden, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today on the Hazard Girls podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.